of our praise and our worship at this time. We thank you for your presence this morning as we trust in you to provide us wisdom and guidance and knowledge. And Lord, that the words that I speak be not my words, but your words. Matters of prayer, Lord, we want to lift up to you Mary, um, Roger's niece who is in the hospital. We pray for you to overshadow her with your presence and provide healing. And we pray the same for Ms. Nicole Green as well, too. We pray that you will indeed provide answers and give wisdom to doctors and nurses and anyone who is attending to these individuals, Lord. We thank you for your healing power. We know that you indeed, Lord, your word is powerful. And Lord, if we have faith in you, even as little bit of a faith as a mustard seed, Lord, we know that you will even respond to that. But Lord, increase our faith as we go. And Lord, strengthen us and keep us as we move about. And Lord, may we be challenged by the message today that we indeed, as we learn more about what it is to trust in you and follow you, that you indeed will gird us up and strengthen us. And Lord, we focus on you, not what the world says, but what you say to us. We thank you, Lord, and we ask all of these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Last week, my lovely bride and I were out with family members as part of our gathering together for my uncle's funeral. The funeral was early Thursday afternoon, and it was followed by a repast later that day at a local hotel. It seems that we only use the word repast as part of a homegoing ceremony. Repast simply means a meal. Our meal was more than adequate. And this is going to whet the appetites of some people in this church already. Um, fried chicken, corn chowder, potatoes, pulled pork with the option of eating it as sliders, corn on the cob, and the option of selecting for dessert either a peach cobbler or a slice of cheesecake. I know I'm leaving something out here, but you get the idea. There was also more food when we got together on Friday afternoon when we all went to BJ's restaurant. And that's everything from pizza to baby back ribs and jambalaya. And then Saturday morning at the original Pancake House. Needless to say, family get-togethers, if unchecked, can get out of hand because everything is centered around eating comfort food. There are occasions when food becomes less desirable or even inedible. For example, if you don't cook chicken properly, it can be problematic for the consumer. If you overcook it, chicken will burn and not taste very good. If you undercook it, whatever it is you eat can make you very sick. You know that it's important not to leave a sandwich with mayonnaise out too long. You need to eat it right away. If the bread on your plate accidentally comes in contact with water, it turns into something that I can barely type right now when I wrote this because the visual of it makes me sick thinking about it. Amen. 
Now, with all that conversation about food, let's take a look at what we, as believers in Jesus, consume and what we should avoid and reject altogether. We all know that there are plenty of options out there. When it comes to food, there are good choices for food, but even in those situations, it is always unhealthy when we overeat. It's always unhealthy when we overeat. I don't care how good the food is. Overeating is something you should never do. And you should learn that. I know I learned an example one time, Thanksgiving dinner when I was very young. We just kept eating and eating and eating turkey and all the stuffings and everything else. And we wound up laying on the floor in my living room because I overate. It's very uncomfortable. Well, you can't pull that off today. You can never pull that off. In the same manner, when it comes to information and messaging, we are to use discernment with the filtering of the Holy Spirit. We need to watch the news and information that we consume. We need to watch it, but we need to be careful about it. Too much of this consumption can create an unhealthy situation or an imbalance in how we see the world today. You can get too much information. If believers are not careful, and here's the point of this, we may find ourselves embracing or going along with things of the world just to get along with others. That's not the way it should be. I fear that this has already happened in many circles. I readily acknowledge that I have to measure what I take in from today's media. I want to know what's going on around me, but I had to establish some personal parameters. First, I will not take in any television or radio media. Nope. And the reason for that is that these types of media often include only headline news and seldom get into anything substantive for consumption. If you really watch, it goes so quickly, you don't even know what to think about what you're seeing sometimes. I also limit my time on the Internet, and I only seek out vetted news groups that provide a more complete picture that goes beyond the headlines. This consists of really no more than two or three different sites. That's it. Because you have to vet them out. So for me, this creates the balance that works best for me. Now, you do what you need to do, but even with these safeguards, everyone, everything needs to be tested with the Word of God at your fingertips. Amen. One of our greatest challenges as believers is to continue to build and grow in our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We must, at all costs, resist the ways of the world and unwittingly incorporating worldliness within our faith. That is our danger. Unwittingly incorporating worldliness within our faith. We must prevent such a watering down of our faith 
that we become a wishy-washy Christian. A wishy-washy Christian. The title of this message is, Don't Be a Wishy-Washy Christian. So it's a cautionary tale here. Wishy-washy is an adjective, and it is defined as feeble or insipid. Insipid means as in lacking in flavor or lacking effort in quality or character. That covers a lot of ground, doesn't it? It also points to one who lacks in strength and boldness. Remember this. You lack in strength and boldness. What are we supposed to be for Jesus? Bold. Strong. Ready to endure. Wishy-washy is the exact opposite of what a believer in Christ should be. A wishy-washy Christian is a person who is negatively impacted by the world and the cares of the world, and as a result is diminished in stature and in character. None of us want to be wishy-washy by nature. Amen? None of us want to be wishy-washy. We certainly don't need to stay that way if we ask Jesus for help. We need to be more like the Father who cried out to Jesus, Help my unbelief! Turn your Bibles and electronic devices to Mark chapter 9. Let's look at verses 20 through 24. Mark chapter 9, verses 20 through 24. And this passage came up as I was going over this because, let's face it, there are times when we are just weak, we need strength. We need to ask God for help. We need to ask God for encouragement because... All of us have a foundational faith, but sometimes we call on the Lord to give us more. Amen? I mean, we're not running at 100% all the time with this stuff. That's unrealistic. You burn out. But every now and then you have to call on the Lord to give you what you need to strengthen your faith. Mark chapter 9, verse 20. This is from the English Standard Version. And they brought the boy, this is the boy with an unclean spirit, to him, being Jesus. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Verse 21, And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Verse 23, And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And that's some of us. We need sometimes the Lord to help us with our unbelief. Remember what Jesus says here about faith and what is possible for you, the believer in Jesus Christ. Remember these words, all things are possible for one who believes. Amen. All things are possible 
for one who believes. And Jesus says this more than once. We need to continue to build upon our faith and seek God's wisdom each and every day. How do we go about that? Turn, please, to James chapter 1. Let's look at verses 5 through 8. James 1, verses 5 through 8. There are moments when we readily acknowledge we don't have it all together. Amen? We don't have it all together. If we're being honest about how we are, we don't always have it all together. But what does God tell us that we can do readily, anytime, anywhere? Verse 5, James chapter 1, this is the New Living Translation. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Here's a very clear message. To be wishy-washy is to be unstable. It's unstable. And there are more unflattering symptoms for wishy-washy Christians. In all seriousness, churches today are loaded with them. Loaded with them. For one simple reason. And it points right back to what James states in verse 8. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world. Period. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world. If loyalties are divided, what can happen to you? What will happen to you? Turn to Matthew chapter 12. Now, just because this passage says demon possession, I'm not saying that if your loyalties are divided, you're going to be demon possessed. That's not factual, that's inaccurate, that's not scriptural. However, you have to understand something. You are either going to be on one team or the other. Amen? You're on one team or the other. So let's look at what it says here. Matthew 12, verses 22 through 28. Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 through 28. And this will be from the Christian Center Bible. I'll wait till you get there. Matthew 12, verse 22. And understand, the Pharisees are always ready to jump in and say something to Jesus because they don't like Jesus, they don't want anything to do with Jesus, they want to discredit Jesus as often as possible in Scripture. You've seen this. You've read this. You understand it. And even when he heals someone, when Jesus heals someone, they discount it. So you see what team the Pharisees are on. Verse 22. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and unable to speak was brought to him, being Jesus. He healed him so that the man could both speak and see. Verse 23. All the crowds were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? 
Verse 24, when the Pharisees heard this, they said, this man drives out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. So that's like not knowing what to say. Amen? Verse 25, knowing their thoughts, Jesus told them, every king divided against itself is headed for destruction, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons drive them out? For this reason, they will be your judges. If I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So there's a cautionary uh, mention here about who do you serve? Let's start with that. One of the things that Jesus wants us to know and understand about application from this passage in today's world, number one, he is challenging your faith. He is challenging your faith. What do you believe in and how much do you put into it? He's challenging your faith. He challenged the Pharisees as to their belief in Jesus and who he was. But it was apparent that they chose not to believe because of their response to how he healed the man who was blind and mute. How is it that you can just watch a man who had been blind and couldn't speak all of a sudden be able to see and speak and respond the way they did? You're just making a choice not to believe. You see what team they're on. We know that all that is asked of each believer is to simply have faith. In our moments of weakness, we are strong when we rely upon Jesus. And there are moments when we have all been weak. Amen? We've all been weak. We've all had reasons to be weak. But we rely upon Jesus to give us strength. The second thing to learn from this passage is that you need to make a choice. Choose the light of Jesus over the world's darkness. Choose the light of Jesus over the world's darkness. Jesus is reminding us that we cannot serve two masters. Serving two masters, the Lord and also the world, is nothing less than being double-minded. You can't serve two masters. Please go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. And if you want to, you can also go to Luke 16, 13, because I'm going to read the exact same passage. It's the exact same words in the ESV version. But it's going to say the same thing. Matthew 6, 24, and it's also Luke 16, 13. But turn to one of those, and we'll go over it together. Matthew 6, 24, or Luke 16, 13, but let's focus on one. What does it say? No one can serve two masters. Amen? For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And one thing I've learned about the world today 
Money is a real corrupter. There was a private conversation. I'm not mentioning who was involved in the conversation. There was a private conversation we had about uh, people who were religious leaders, even within our own community. And the more and more prominent they became, the more and more that money had corrupted those individuals. But you can't serve God and money. Turn to 1 Corinthians 10. Let's look at verse 21. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 21. Now get ready, everybody. Buckle up your seatbelt. We're just getting going here. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 21. First Corinthians 10, verse 21. This is from the English Standard Version. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Now before you think that that's the use of choosing between the Lord and demons is harsh... I'm going to add my hat into the ring and say this is actually why we have so much division within a number of our churches. And you hate to be critical, but I'm dealing with reality. Either we stand on God's word and teach truth, or we acquiesce and commune with the demons. Either we're teaching God's word or we are acquiescing, putting God's word to the back end, and we commune with demons. If we can't speak the truth with God's word and speak openly about the dangers of living in sin, the dangers of living in sin, the dangers of living in sin, then we have chosen the wrong side. The wrong side. There are a lot of churches today that don't talk about sin the way they should. It's almost like sin is a forbid. Sin? Who's talking about that? Paul is warning the Corinthians about following idols and committing sexual immorality. What's the biggest talking point today? It's no longer about keeping matters of idolatry and sexual preferences in private. It's all out in the open and in our faces virtually every day. And anyone who opposes these things is subject to ridicule and shouts of bias and homophobia. Satan is clever enough to make this movement all about pride and making it a good thing when we all should know that pride is the sin that leads to death. Amen? Why are you all so quiet? Amen? It's not like you ain't heard this before. 
let's be clear. We have examples in Scripture that talk about this very thing all the time. In the book of Genesis, Cain presented an offering to God that he was very proud of, but the Lord rejected it. Abel, his brother, presented an offering that was not only good, but pleasing to God. Cain resented Abel for how he was able to please God because his own offering was essentially worthless. He was very angry about all of this. Please note that God knew exactly where Cain was in his heart. Turn to Genesis chapter 4. I want you to see something here that's really important for us, all of us to grasp. Genesis 4, verses 6 and 7. I'm reading from the NIV version. Please follow along in yours. Genesis 4, verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Look very carefully at this, everyone. Number seven. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Words to the wise for all of us. We live in a fallen world. Sinful behavior begins with pridefulness. Pridefulness. It's about doing whatever you want to do without regard for God or what he knows is best for you. Cain's anger, of course, led to more sin. His pride led to him taking the life of his brother. Another clever way that Satan promotes the worldly message of love is by taking one of God's attributes. Love, as we read in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, and stretching it out to declare that love is love. It is a declaration that all expressions of love are acceptable. And it's because, hey, well, God is love. This is the underlying message of today's pride movement. God's word makes it very clear that it is unwise and foolish to throw around the word love as a permission to do whatever you want to do. Now, in all honesty, the word love in this following instance is better described as lust. But we won't dwell on that. But just putting it out there for what it is. Are we living in a time where destruction of those who oppose God is imminent? Consider the wickedness of everyone on earth during the days of Noah before the great flood event. Consider the people of Sodom and Gomorrah when God couldn't find as few as ten righteous people in those cities to stave off destruction. It all began with Satan's deception of these people. Let's go to Romans chapter 1, please. 
Now, I'm going to read the passage and take it all the way down eventually to verse 32 from verse 18. But I want you to see some things here that are very important. Everything that we see today has been repeated numerous times and recorded by Scripture. So we're not talking about anything really new. For our generation, it looks like it's new. But guess what? It ain't new. This is old stuff. Verse 18. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Now, please follow along because we need to understand something that when Paul is writing this to the Romans, he's making a point for them to recognize about their own society, about the people that he's speaking to in the church as well. Romans chapter 1, verse 18, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. Verse 20, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So those who choose the wrong side do so willingly and don't care about who God is. Let's continue. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being, birds and animals and reptiles. What's the first thing that Moses ran into when he came down the mountain? They were jumping around and celebrating with that out popped this golden calf. And God's right up there on the mountain looking at them. There's nothing new under the sun, everybody. As believers, we have the Word of God declaring all throughout its pages, all throughout its chapters, all throughout its books of how mankind has repeatedly turned their backs on God. All throughout Scripture, we see it. The penalty for this rejection is that God also rejects them. Now go down to verse 24, Romans 1. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Verse 26, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. That's calling it as it is. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. 
Verse 28, Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. Now, be careful here, everybody, because this message is not just for those in a pride movement. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. Now listen to this. They know they deserve death. But they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. The more you look at this passage, this is heavy-duty stuff. None of us want to see these people ruined. Some of these people we know and love. We don't want to see their destruction. But that's what awaits them. In spite of how they live, God still loves them. Now, is there a conflict here? Absolutely not. God is holy and righteous. He abhors sin. These lost people, if they merely turn from their ways and seek Jesus as Lord, they're going to experience his miraculous saving power. And I said miraculous on purpose because those people need a miracle. This happens more than we know as we serve a miraculous God. Remember what I said earlier? All things are possible through Jesus. Jesus. Jesus says in Luke 18, 27, that what is impossible with man, or our reasoning and thinking, is possible with God. Amen. We serve a Savior who does the impossible. With that being said, why are there so many wishy-washy Christians? Why are churches today full of them? Present company excluded, amen? But you know what I mean. I'll tell you why. It's because of fear of pushback against the lost. People don't like to be criticized. People don't like to be someone to come up against them. But it's also because of lack, and fa- lack of faith, plain and simple. It's a lack of faith. If we say we love these people, and we do, and we don't move in the Spirit to stand firm in our faith, we are operating outside of God's will. Please understand this. If we don't stand firm in the faith, if we don't take a stand for Jesus, we are operating outside of God's will. Ultimately, we're as guilty as they are. 
Because when you operate outside of God's will, guess what it is? It's sin. Go to James chapter 4. Let's look at verses 13 through 17. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. And this is one of the reasons probably why we don't talk about sin in church like we should. Because sometimes it's like hold up a mirror in front of your face and look at it and see what the problem is. Amen? When you look in the mirror in the bathroom somewhere, and I know everybody in here has a mirror in the bathroom, but you need to see what you look like. James chapter 4, verse 13. And this is how a lot of us go through our lives sometimes. Verse 13, uh, Christian Center Bible Version. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Just going about our business, right? Verse 14, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What your life will be. For you are like vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Verse 15, instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Verse 17. So it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. That's why I can make the statement. If you're operating outside of God's will, and there's something that's good in front of you that you should be doing and you don't do it, it's sin. Many of us need to humble ourselves before God. And I mean not just humble yourself, but get down on your knees or lay prostrate before Him and repent from our lack of faith. And our wishy-washy behavior God calls us to move and act in faith and use the tools that he has freely given us to stand firm in the wonder-working power of Jesus Christ. The moment you start thinking about, I can't talk to these people, I can't speak to them, you've just committed a sin. Our struggle today is all about good Versus evil. It's not politics. This is why you have to filter stuff out. It's not about politics. It can be made to look that way, but at the end of the day, it's about good versus evil. You're getting lost in the weeds if you're worried about political stuff. You really are. Repent and then stand in the power of Christ. Please turn to Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, let's look at verse 10. We're going to look at 10 through 13. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 13. It, the more we need to see passages like this to understand how serious this is. And that just because you become a believer in Jesus Christ doesn't mean, well, that's it for me. That's all she wrote. I'm going to make it to heaven with my clothes singed by fire, but I'm going to get there. 
But that's not even realistic, is it? Because you're being disobedient by just stopping there. Ephesians 6, verse 10. This is an ongoing process, everybody. Verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Do you put on your armor of God? For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Not just here on earth, but all around us. That's what we're dealing with. This is serious. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. That pause is there on purpose. After you've done everything else, it's all about standing. Stand in the faith. Don't waver. Don't get wishy-washy. Don't acquiesce. Because the world tells you to do something, you're going to do it? There's no time or place in the body of Christ for wishy-washy Christians. We ain't got time for that. And you know, just like every, every now and then you have drama come up in your life, some people's lives, and after a while you say, I don't have time for that. Focus on Jesus Christ. Pray that the Lord gives you courage, gives you strength, gives you endurance. Believers in the Lord Jesus Christ must ratchet up their faith and trust that God will prevail. We have to believe he is the one who's got the victory. He will prevail in the battle for our very souls. Father, you indeed are ready, willing, and able to take charge and control of our lives right now. And Lord, we give them to you. We believe in you. We trust in you. We rely upon you. We know what you've told us in the word. Now help us to live and act on that word. where there is no need for us to acquiesce or question our faith in you. Lord, gird us up, build us up, strengthen us. And Lord, we are always to act in love and speak in love before others. But at the end of the day, after we've done that, you just ask us to stand. And Lord, we want to do that very thing. We want to stand. We want to stand in such a manner, Lord, where you indeed are encouraging us and speaking to us daily. Lord, may we always be in front of you in your word, each day, without hesitation. And Lord, you indeed answer our prayers when we believe and trust in you. With you, Lord, all things are possible. And with you, nothing is impossible. 
Lord, you know the people in our lives who do not have a relationship with you for different reasons. We lift those people up to you right now, Lord. You know each one in this room. You know our hearts. You know the people in our lives. You know exactly who it is that we pray about and pray for. We lift those people up to you, Lord, right now, that you do what we deem to be impossible, that you save them. It's in your power to do so. And we thank you, Lord, for how you indeed reach the people that we say, there is no way in the world this person should be saved. And yet you will do it. We thank you for how you answer prayers. We thank you, Lord, for boldness. We thank you for strengthening us. Thank you for keeping us, Lord. We thank you. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your very word. Bless us, Lord, as we take a step of faith. We give you praise and thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, okay.